us all that I mean the heart and on your lips might worthily proclaim the gospel of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. So there they are. Remember their names? James? Do you remember their names? No, not Mary and Joseph. The three Magi. 
One's got the same name as a ghost. Casper. Melchior. Bishop, you can't answer. (laughs) And Balthazar. Our most famous bit players in the great drama of the nativity story. Bit players because, well, they um, arrive late and leave early, drop off their gifts and move right on. They, they say nothing. There's no words that come out of their mouths. And outside of being kind of dramatic personages, they really don't have a big part to play in the story. And if you want to measure their importance by how many Christmas carols that were written about them, it's just one. The same as number as uh, the drummer boy, Frosty, and Rudolph. Um, so that puts them in pretty low standing as far as the story goes, if you measure it that way. Bit players in the great drama of the nativity indeed. But we dismiss the three magi. Well, it doesn't even say three magi. The magi and their three gifts uh, at our peril. In this gospel story that Matthew tells, um, they're really, really pretty important that they have kind of an important role, a major role to, to play, not in, as the story develops, but at the very end, by kind of allowing those who are hearing the story or reading the story to know who this is that is laying in this manger. They come in and they, in a sense, are the witnesses or the testifiers or the people who point to little Jesus and say, This is who he is. And they do that through their gifts. So the gold is for a king. This child is the son of David, the king of Israel. He's the new king of Israel. Of course, that's what gets him in trouble with miserable Herod. The frankincense is what is used in the temple to praise God and raise our prayers to God. It's the the divine gift. This child is the Son of God. And finally, there's that myrrh stuff, this ointment that is used to heal the body and that they use at the end of life to sort of anoint the body before before burial. This child is also a human being, someone who will suffer and endure life's ups and downs and die like the rest of us. So there you have it. The story ends with the three magi making it very clear just who this Jesus is. Son of David, son of God, son of man. It's kind of important, their role at the end of the story. But their importance doesn't end there. As important as that is, it's also important to know what Matthew was thinking when he tells this part of the story. What is he imagining here? What is the part of the story that, why does he choose these outsiders, for example? He could have had shepherds or anybody come and and perform this role of telling us who this Jesus really deeply is that we're going to get to know in the coming chapters of his gospel. But he chooses these outsiders. Now, Magi, it's pretty clear who they were. We know about them. Because there were plenty of magi running around these days. They were from Persia, what is now Iran. And they were um, priests or members of, of the Zoroastrian religion. And that religion was really important in that time. Because, well, they had a lot of influence. 
And this religion was founded back about the time of Moses by a guy named Zarathustra. He was a great prophet and a man of God. And he, he developed this, these wonderful teachings about the fact that there is only one God, so it's a monotheistic religion. It's sharing space with Israel and, their, and the Jewish religion. And he also has, uh, in their tradition, beautiful, beautiful uh, prophecies about, about the saviors of the world. They believed that there were going to be three saviors of the world and that they would, their, their, their life would be, they would be indicated by the signs in the sky, the stars, and, and one of them even would be born of a virgin. So that's part of their tradition as well. So we can kind of understand why these magi would be curious about this strange star formation that they want to know about and why they would see in the birth of Jesus something that is really important, that this may very well be one of the saviors of the world according to their traditions and their prophecies and their teachings. So the Zoroastrians are not some crazy bunch of goofy people In some ways, their religious life was deeper and richer than that of the Romans and the Greeks who had all those, you know, mythical gods and goddesses fighting with one another and procreating all over the place. They had a very serious and very deep religious experience in life and faith and teaching. So they're not wackos. They're not crazy people at all. And this is what's so wonderful, really, about this scene as Matthew paints it, is these men who have come from this other world, from this other faith, from this other culture, from this other religious tradition, but with which is but which is very similar to their to 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 the Jewish tradition in many ways, they come and they kneel before the Christ, the Savior. Acknowledging that indeed this is not just the Savior of the Jews. He's not just the Messiah of the Jews, the anointed one of the Jewish people. But, but in a real way, he's also their Savior. And they are experiencing in him that God made flesh too. And they honor that. And they respect that and they reverence that. And that's really profoundly important for Matthew's gospel and really for Christianity to understand that this child, this son of David, this son of God, this son of humanity is the savior not just of the Jewish people, but he's the savior of the Zoroastrians and really everyone else. So that's really important and beautiful and an essential part of the gospel message that Matthew is going to be telling in the forthcoming chapters of his story. But there's also yet another thing that's important and beautiful and intriguing about this story. So the Zoroastrians were um, they were very a peaceful people. They really preached and tried to live peace among themselves. They were very generous and gracious. They really prized those, those virtues in life. They, they really tried to share what they had 
with other peoples and other nations. That was part and parcel of that. And they, that's why they sent these magi out. But we often think of them as, well, astrologers. You know, they're like these guys that write the columns in the back of the newspaper predicting what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Or telling us our fortunes. You know, be careful if you're a Scorpio. No, they're not that kind of, of person. They're, as magi, they're, they're missionaries, really, of their, of their faith and of their religion. But not just of their religion, but of, but of what they prize and what they cherish. So, so they were also really, really intrigued by what we would call the sciences. You know, they, they loved whatever technology they could develop. They were really good at agriculture. They had techniques and, and things that they could do, and they loved to share that with their neighbors. And they were astronomers. They loved to study the stars. Not like astrologists, but to study the stars. What's going on up there? And that, too, was part and parcel. They were, they were kind of stand-ins, in a way, from our own time to... to the, are very scientific bent in our own culture. You know, wanting to know how things work, what makes the world tick, what is going on out there and down here and in here. If they had had microscopes and telescopes, they would have been the ones to make the great discoveries about this universe and this world and this cosmos of ours. They were people really who cared about knowing the truth of this world. What goes on here? What makes it tick? It was part and parcel of their culture. And, and they shared what they learned with these other peoples, like the, the Jewish people. They were gracious in that way. And, and what was really wonderful about this is that there was no big divide between science and faith. Knowing the facts of the world was not somehow opposed to presuming there was a creator of the world. To the contrary, for them, it was all part of the same thing. Their faith in a God, a single God, was not distinct from their study of the stars, or their study of the earth, or their study of the land. And so in a way, they're wonderful examples for our own time, That there really isn't a divide between faith and science. That the two can go hand in hand. And that the facts of this universe, the facts of this world, the facts of of our lives here, can make greater sense and deeper sense if there is a truth within them, a grace that sort of makes it all possible. A love that is at work here, a spirit that's alive in all of this. And, and that's in a sense what they also bring to this story of Jesus' birth and his early years as a child and, and really the rest of the gospel as well. That, that this is a story for all of us, not just the Jewish people, Not just those Gentiles who eventually became Christians later on. Not just people of faith, whatever that might mean. But for all of us, that this Jesus, in his graciousness, 
in his love, in his self-sacrifice, in his passion, in his human death, in his gracious and glorious resurrection, offers meaning to this world and light and grace. And it allows us to understand what's within our universe and what's within the things that surround us. And what makes science not just science, but something that is beautiful. That makes our gazing out into the stars an an opportunity to, to see grace and loveliness and God. And what allows us to experience in our own lives, in our own relationships, in our own families, in our own struggles, in our own ups and downs, in our lives and even in our deaths, the presence of God, the grace of God, the life of God. And so in a very real way, these magi from the East, from another religion, from another culture, from another place, are very important in Matthew's Gospel. They're not just bit players. They tell us who Jesus is. They tell us that Jesus is the fulfillment not just of the Jewish Prophecies, but also their own prophecies and, and religious life anywhere and everywhere. And maybe most important for us, they remind us that in this big, beautiful, massive universe of ours, in this lovely world of ours, in this life of ours, in these bodies of ours, we're more than just facts, we're more than just statistics, we're more than just corpuscles. God is here. God's grace is here. God's light is here. And that's a wonderful thing. And it's echoed beautifully in the very first line of a lovely poem written in the 19th century by a Jesuit priest named Gerard Manley Hopkins. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. That's what these kings, these magi, teach us about God. Teach us about the world and teach us really about Jesus Himself. This world of ours, this universe of ours, these lives of ours, these bodies of ours, these relationships of ours are charged with the grandeur of God. 